This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. This is Eddie Turner, your host. Have you seen the movie Sully? Do you remember the story about the miracle on the Hudson? My guest today, is the last passenger to make it off of U.S. Airways Flight 1549 or the Miracle on the Hudson. He will recount for us those harrowing moments and what it was like to be on that flight and to survive along with lessons learned and the fact that moments matter. He'll share this with us right after this. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Eddie Turner, LLC delivers executive and leadership coaching, professional speaking, facilitation services, and management consulting across the globe. Eddie Turner, LLC also creates voiceovers, serves as a master of ceremonies, as a panel and event moderator, and provides national media commentary. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Have you ever had a life-threatening situation occur? How did you handle it? How were you different as a result? My guest today faced just such a life-threatening situation. My guest today is the last passenger to make it off U.S. Airways Flight 1549, or the miracle on the Hudson. After that, he learned moments matter. And he's here to share with us today how we can do the same. I am very pleased to welcome Dave Sanderson. Dave, welcome to the show. Eddie, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today. Dave, I got to tell you, I was sitting at the C-Suite Network Conference in December, and Jeffrey Hazlett goes on Larger Than Life, and he is doing this interview, and you come out, and you tell your story. And it took a second for me to understand exactly where things were going. And then the images of the plane showed up. You're telling the story. And it, it was as if you literally could hear a pin drop. The audience was captivated. There had to be 150 of us in that room. 
And your story just was riveting. And I won't do it justice. Can I ask you to please share the story that you shared with us that day? Well, thank you, Eddie. And it's amazing because you and I were actually sitting close to each other in the audience before that happened. So it was, it's amazing how that happened. Plus, that was a very emotional day because we were coming up on the 10th anniversary. Plus, as you looked out that back window, if you remember, you could see the Hudson River exactly where the plane went down. So it's, that day was actually very emotional for me. But. Yes, that made it even more interesting to your point because you were sitting next to me. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> yep, yep, and, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm up there and yes. you know, I'm looking out the window and I'm trying not to look out the window because Canley, every time I look at it, I get very emotional, but thank you. And wow, how sobering. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a short version of uh, what happened. So, hey, I wasn't supposed to be on that plane. I was scheduled to be on the five o'clock flight that night because I was working in a distribution center in Brooklyn and that we all start our day very early. And I usually always, as a business person, schedule the last flight out because you never know how the day is going to go, and especially in New York and traffic. So uh, fortunately, we got out by 10 and that's when I worked with our travel agent and she put me on U.S. Airways flight 1549. So I gave up a first class seat uh, at five o'clock for seat 15A, but I was happy. I was going to go home and I had a lot of gratitude because we were at the end of three day, you know, business trip. I just wanted to get home. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that day was it was cold, but it's New York in the winter. It was eleven degrees and it was snowing. That's no big deal. But so when we got I got to the airport, I got a little early, but we our plane was delayed because of the de icing and everything. So we got out a little late and I was one of the first set of passengers to board the plane because of my status. I because I flew so often. I had over hundred thousand miles. So I was always one of the first people to board. I went to the plane and did exactly what I did every single time. Did pay attention, like most people, like you probably, a lot of people are listening. Who pays attention? No one does. And uh, so I was just reading the magazine and, you know, not paying attention. But all of a sudden we took off. And if you've ever taken off out of New York, like you have, I know you have and I have, LaGuardia goes out over the bay and heads north and then banks to come south. So, as, you know, as we took off, nothing extraordinary until about 60 seconds. And then when I heard an explosion, and that got my attention because I never heard anything like that on a plane. So I was on a window seat. So I looked out the window on the left and saw fire coming out from beneath the left wing. So I knew something had happened. But, you know, I know that planes lose engines. And I've been on planes that lose engines. So it really didn't startle me too much. So as he was banking back, the guy next to me said, hey, where are we going? I said, I think we're going back to the airport. But as we were banking, we banked a different way. We went down. Instead of going out back, we were going down the Hudson River. And all of a sudden, when I looked up, I could see Manhattan and New York in my in the front of me. I'm like, I've never seen this flight pattern before. And all of a sudden I looked out and all of a sudden I saw the you know George Washington Bridge. I've never seen the bridge before like that. So I knew that something was going on. But you know, before we got to the bridge, you know, he's when the captain said his famous words, This is your captain, brace for impact. And that's when I think I and if you talk to any other passenger, that's the moment everybody knew that uh, it was a pretty serious situation because that's when the fight attendants said brace, brace, brace. And then we started going over the George Washington Bridge. And if you know anything about New York, and some of the people here are probably listening do, the George Washington Bridge is about 600 feet up. The plane was roughly 1,000 feet at that moment and descending. So we cleared the bridge by only 400 feet. And I tell people, as we were crossing the bridge and I looked out the window, you can see people's faces looking up. And that's how close we were to the bridge. And that's the moment I knew that, man, this is not good. And that's when I prayed and, you know, I did my prayers. but. Uh, yeah, as we crossed over, I got done with my prayers. I said, told God, just get me down to one piece and just forgive my sins. I don't want anything between me and God. You know, I mean, we're, we're going down and it doesn't look good. 
But people ask me, Eddie, all the time, what's that last moment like? Because it was only 60 seconds after we crossed over the George Washington Bridge that so we crashed. Wow. I, I tell people, I said, that minute is surreal because it, it goes so slowly. But I could hear people calling people on their phones. I heard people texting. But, you know, I, what I did is I put my head down. But when I, the moment I put my head down, what happened to me was I saw the movie of my life pass before my eyes. I saw things, Eddie, with clarity from you know 40 plus years before playing little league baseball and prom and first dates and babies being born and it's amazing how much clarity you get when you think you're going to die and that's what i tell people it's amazing because all of a sudden you realize what was your life all about mm -hmm. and i think people i've talked to people who've survived earthquakes in haiti and other people who've gone through these life experiences like i have and it's very similar we all have had a situation where you finally understand what your life was all about but it was about 60 seconds after he crossed over the bridge when we crashed into the river. And it was a violent hit. And, you know, he hit it perfectly. And as we know, if you've seen the movie Sully, he hit it perfectly. But it was a violent hit. So I went back and forward in my seat pretty quick. And all of a sudden, when I, I looked up, I was alive. I looked out the window and I could see the light. So that was a good thing. But as you looked out the window, the water was already about halfway to three quarters filled up the window. So water was coming in quickly. And the water was 36 degrees that day. So it was pouring in the plane because of, of, you know, some of the things that happened. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden things are happening and people are moving very quickly. I used the term that night on TV when I was interviewed on CBS and the evening news with Katie Couric, it was controlled chaos that, you know, people were moving extremely quickly, but man, no one was losing their heads. That was one of the biggest lessons out of this. And I tell people, you know, people ask me all the time, but, you know, they've seen the picture of people standing on the wings. They ask me how to do how that, how that happened. I'm going to tell you. So when I looked up and was making my way out, I could see people walking down the seats. And a few years later, that was one of the things I thought about. It was a great lesson. That moment was a great lesson because when in life, Eddie, when you think you only have one way to get something done and a lot of people, I'm, not, I'm that way sometimes still where you think this is the only way I get something done. If you're resourceful, all of a sudden, multiple options, multiple choices open up. And that's what happened. And all of a sudden, one pathway turned into three pathways. And people started getting out of the plane quick. But when I got to the aisle, something changed for me. Because I got to the aisle and get candidly, my game plan was aisle up out. It's the first thing I said, aisle up out. But when I got to the aisle, all of a sudden, I heard my mother start talking to me. And my mom passed away in 1997. But there was something she would tell me when I was a child that all of a sudden I heard in my head, it was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. Mm -hmm. And after I thought about that moment, that moment was significant for a number of reasons. Number one, it was because my mother said, if. See, one of the greatest things my mother did when I grew up, and I wish I had this, I'm working on, and I think most parents have this today, that we wish we did what our parents did. My mother made me make choices. And the choices that we made when I was young, you had consequences to the choices. Hopefully you made a good choice, but when you made a bad choice, you had consequences. So my mother didn't say do the right thing. She said, if you do the right thing. So it made me make a choice. And my choice was, you know, you help other people because I was alive. I knew that I was alive, but water was coming in very quickly. And so I started making my way back towards the back of the plane. I was climbing on the seats going back in the plane, got behind everybody. And towards the back of the plane, it was about waist to chest level deep water. So it was extremely deep water. Plus, based on the impact, some of the bins had popped open and all of a sudden luggage is floating out. So mm. there's luggage floating out. You know, I, people were making their way out, but it was, so you had to sort of wade your way out. But the first light that I saw, Eddie, was on the right side of the plane. 
And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's time to get out. But when I got there, I looked out the wing and it was an amazing sight. There's no room on that lifeboat. But people are already being rescued two to three minutes after this whole thing happened. That's a miracle. That's how miracles start. Another thing that you look at, and I show a picture because one of the first pictures that was released out of this was me holding onto the lifeboat. And people always ask us, well, why were you holding onto the lifeboat? And the reason why is this. If you know nothing about the Hudson River, it's got a very fast current. And the plane was floating down the river. And as it was floating down the river, the lifeboat was floating out into the river. And they didn't want to get out in the river. So they asked, yelling me to hold on. They didn't know, like I didn't know, and Eddie, you probably didn't know, that that lifeboat was actually tethered to the plane. But that was holding on the lifeboat for seven minutes waist deep in 36-degree water. And wow. so I felt the plane shift. And when I felt the plane shift, you know, I found out later what happened. A tugboat actually touched it on the way out as it was backing out. I felt water go up my back. And the first thing I thought was Titanic. I'm like, I'm out of here. Wow. Because if you saw the movie Titanic, that boat tipped up and it sucked everything down in it. And the first thing I said in my head is don't be sucked down in a plane. Because you get sucked down in a plane, you have no shot at all. So that's why I always thank my mom and dad for making me get swimming lessons. Because that's why I jumped in and swam to the closest boat that I could find having me into that wing. That was the longest 10 yards of swimming I've ever done. And not only was it 36 degree water, but now you've had jet fuel that's leaked out. Mm. So you're swimming in, in ice cold, nasty Hudson river water with jet fuel. And that's why I wear glasses today because I got jet fuel in my eye and they, when they cleaned it out, they didn't get it all out. Mm. So that's why I got some, some jet fuel spots in my left eye, but I got to the ferry and I, I made it, but I didn't because I had to climb. And all of a sudden, I couldn't climb. So two guys, once again, these are my, two of my heroes, reached down and picked me up and threw me to the side of the ferry. I'm like, wow, I made it. But I still didn't make it because all of a sudden, the adrenaline's gone. You know, I tell people, and you talk to EMTs or paramedics or fire guys, fire ladies, you know, they go into this thing, they have adrenaline, right? But when the adrenaline's gone, you can't feel anything. And it was so cold. It was 11 degrees. The water was 36. I can't express how cold you can get that quickly. But I couldn't even think. I thought I, was, I didn't make it. I thought I was dying. But fortunately, someone had an iPhone and let me at least make a message to get out. And fortunately for me, when I got to New Jersey, three people, you know, picked me up and took me to a triage center. And, and you know, the triage center, they diagnosed me then. They had to go quick because my, my blood pressure was out of control. It was 190 over 120. So they thought I was going to have a heart attack or stroke right there. So all of a sudden, here I am naked with underwear on. They're picking me up, putting put me in a gurney to get me out of there. And all of a sudden, they took me to the hospital. And. That's why I got diagnosed with hypothermia. And that's why I stayed the night in the hospital. And there were only two people out of this whole situation that stayed the night, Barry Leonard and I. 148 people walked home just a few hours after a plane crash in ice cold water. And that's how it got its name of the miracle on the Hudson. Because when the governor of New York came out that night at roughly 7 o'clock to make his pronouncement, that's where they finally found out that they, they finally tracked down everybody by that time because it took them. If you saw the movie, it was true. They couldn't find everybody. He kept asking for a count to give me a count, but people were already going home. People were already going back to you know, doing what they had to do, but they could find us. And finally, once they found us, that's when they made the announcement that uh, this is truly a miracle on the Hudson. That's how it got its name. That 148 you know, people walked home, two people in the hospital, but everybody was alive. And that's how it got its name, it's a miracle on the Hudson. So I was very grateful that, you know, at least I got to the hospital. I had hypothermia, but the next uh, several hours were pretty wild, but that's how I got off the plane. Wow. I'm, I'm having chills here all, all over again, just listening to you, Dave. And I have absolutely seen the movie 
what was it like for you to see the movie, Sully? Well, it was interesting because first I was invited to do a pre-screening with the passengers and here in Charlotte. They did one in New York and one in Charlotte. Unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately for me, I was actually speaking <laughs> that day. <laughs> uh, so I, I was actually out doing one of my things. So I couldn't go with the passengers, but uh, the following Monday, fortunately for me, someone at the theater recognized me and they gave me one of the theaters for me, my family and friends as just ourselves. And oh, we got to wow. see the movie just for ourselves. And it was very emotional. I think everybody was crying. My minister was there. He didn't know what was really, he was, he was flabbergasted. My wife was crying. My friends were crying. I was crying. And so I think that uh, it was probably one of the most emotional things. And, and then all of a sudden you see your, yourself on, in the movie at the end. It was like, wow. You know, this is this is amazing that you know I survived this and look what our life has turned into now. How God has graced us. Oh wow, truly something remarkable. Now there are a lot of leadership lessons in your story as you just told it, Dave. But before we look at a couple of those, there's something that after you took us here with this part of your story, there's another leadership lesson that came right after this that left us all in awe. Can you tell us what the reaction was at your place of employment when you went back to work? So what was one of the intriguing things about this is, you know, the night before, after all this has happened, I'm in the hospital, my wife's doing her thing, trying to just handle business here in Charlotte. My company called and checked in with either me or my wife. So I didn't know when I got back to Charlotte that anybody from my company even knew that I was on the plane. So on the way back from the airport, after all the interviews and all that stuff you do, two of my kids came with me. And that was probably a smart move my wife insisted on because candidly, I should have been driving anyway, to be very candid. I should have had someone drive me home. But I stopped by the office just to check in. And I was just, I was asked pretty quickly, you know, are you going to Michigan next week? And I, I said, no, I said, yes. And my kids were like flabbergasted at that point. But you know, I think that he wasn't aware of what really happened to me. Now, a couple other people were aware because they saw me on TV the night before. And my vice president was a hero because he said, you don't have to go. Do what you need to do. But that also taught me, at least in that moment, I was just a number. Yes. And, and that's where, you know, I started thinking. It's like, I, you know, I'm the only person in this company that was involved in this plane crash. And I'm being asked just to go back to work, which I did. And it was my choice. I tell people it was my choice. That's why I said in the book that I was with, uh, with Jeffrey Hazel. It was my choice. And I could have said no. But it was 2009, Eddie. Business is tough. I was a topper. I had the biggest thing going. And so, A, number one, you know, I would have had to give up that opportunity. I was a sales guy. Or we wouldn't be able to get it. So that's why I said yes. But it just taught me I was a number. And Kaylee, that's the moment I realized, you know what? If I'm going to be treated like a number, I'll act like a number. I'll do my job. But I've got to find a pathway out. I've got to find another pathway. And Fortunately for me, God gave me another pathway to be able to do what I do and that what you do likewise, impact people's lives. Yeah, you were a top performer. And in this particular case, the deal that you were being asked to go visit was, I think you said 10 figures? It was uh, seven figures. It was seven, so, a big seven, like this, it was boarding on eight. Yeah, okay. I knew it was substantial. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, the lesson in leadership, the lesson in compassion, the lesson in empathy, the lesson in priority, and as you said, it is the title of your book, Moments Matter. Really so much packed in there. So thank you for sharing that with us. And what I'd like to do is take a, a break for our sponsors and then talk about this a little bit more on the other side. 
Okay. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. Hi, this is Connie Fife, the founder and CEO of Talent Concierge and host and producer of The Connie Fife Show. And you're listening to the Keep Leading Podcast with Eddie Turner. So we're talking with Dave Sanderson, the last passenger off US Airways Flight 1549, when the miracle on the Hudson took place on the Hudson River on January 15, 2009. Dave, you were very busy at the beginning of this year because this was the 10-year anniversary. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the uh, the places you went to and what the impact has been on people 10 years later? Well, thank you. It was an amazing, amazing five five weeks because I started in Canada because I really, I launched my book in Canada. So I, I felt a kinship. So I I was very fortunate to do some events in Waterloo and Toronto. And then I headed to New Jersey. And I, you know, a lot of people went to Charlotte, but I went to New Jersey because New Jersey was where I ended up. New Jersey people took care of me and New Jersey didn't get a lot of the credit. So I wanted to really thank them personally. So I, I went back to New York and New, primarily New Jersey. And then all of a sudden I'm going to Iowa, going to Florida, you know, going to Missouri. I was just, I did Raleigh, North Carolina with Jeff Skiles, the first officer. So I was really blessed that not only was I able to share really message about Moments Matter, but, you know, but the 10th anniversary, people really were attached to that because every place I went, Eddie, and every place I still go is amazing. People come up to me and say, I know where I was when this happened. It's like, you know, when people landed on the moon or they knew, you know, where you're at. And so that blows my mind, candidly, that people were actually remember, you know, 10 years later, but. This has a lot of impact on a lot of people because there's so many, not only lessons and learnings, but I think people just needed some a message of hope. And this gave people hope in a bad time of 2009. Yes, because you've been prominently featured across the spectrum in, in different types of media. So that's interesting to know that people are recognizing you and taking a moment to say an encouraging word or two because you certainly deserve it. Well, I'm honored and because I think everybody goes through life. There's something that's going to happen in your life. So I think everybody's either faced something or will be facing it. So they want to talk to somebody who actually survived and have that connection. So I, I'm honored to be able to do that. Now, Dave, you have actually given a TED Talk, and I believe the title was Bouncing Back. And you talked about something called PTGS. I'd love it if you would share what that is <laughs> and tell the listeners how someone can grow from a traumatic life experience. Well, thank you. Cause I never heard the term until about five years ago either. P- PTGS is post-traumatic growth syndrome. And what was presented to me is I got a, a phone call from AARP magazine and Kaylee, I didn't know why they wanted to talk to me. You know, I knew nothing about AARP. Plus, I thought I was too young for you. That's for old people, right? <laughs> why they, they want to talk to a young guy like me? But they said that there were two universities doing a study, and they were actually using me as sort of their exhibit of how somebody actually could grow from a traumatic life experience instead of going into a depressed state or even worse called PTSD. So they, I agreed to do the interview, and we went deep into this subject. 
And I all of a sudden think I'm putting it out there. I'm like, no one's ever heard of this thing, right? I mean, so people keep asking, what is PTGS? So when I had the opportunity, I, you know, like we all do, if we want to be on a TED talk, we do the applications. And all of a sudden, I four out of the 10 applications I put out wanted me to do this TED talk because no one had heard about this subject. So I agreed to do it at Queens University because I wanted to do it in Canada and international. And it's about how does somebody grow? And there's a lot of ways that you, know, you can grow instead of going to a depressed state. And I was doing it just because of the training that I had and, you know, being the head of security for Tony Robbins and everything that I learned. And, and all of a sudden, this is like, wow, there's a way that you can help people instead of going on drugs or helping people not go to PTSD. Because can't, can't leave, there are a lot of people that go through something like I went through. And there's even some people on 1549 that have PTSD. And even if you look for the movies, there are people who are in the movie Sully that were going through PTSD. So fortunately for me that uh, I, I turned it around and I share the strategies in my TED talk. And if, as you know, you only have 18 minutes, so you got to rock and roll it. But uh, I was very honored to share this and be an advocate for PTGS now around the country and around the world. Well, I am glad you're sharing this with our listeners because until I was preparing for the interview, the conversation you and I were going to have, I had not heard that term. I was very familiar with, of course, as you mentioned, PTSD. So this is good to know how people can grow and bounce back. Yep. It's, there's, there's ways to do it. And that's why I love talking about it. And I share when people want to work with me one-on-one, I go deep in these strategies and teach them how to do it. So I'm very honored to be able to do it. So this is a service that you offer? Well, yeah, I, I do work with one-on-one with people. And you know, some people, instead of going to the business route, which is what I usually do, they say, they tell me their challenges. They say, can you help me? Because they feel like they're in a depressed state. And I, I said, yes. And, you know, and so I've, I'll work with some people. I've worked with a couple of people one-on-one to help them break through and turn their depressed state into a state of growth, which is what people really need to focus on. Wonderful. So that'll be good to know in future so we can make referrals your way. I'd be honored. Honored to work with people and help them so they don't have to go through the challenge of PTSD or, or depression. Is there anyone who has had an impact on you that you think as a leader that our, our listeners should know about? I would go back to my two, my first two mentors. Um, my first mentor was Bill, who took me under his wing in 1983 when I didn't know anything. I thought I knew everything. But Bill owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. He was known as the Sam Walton of Charlotte. And fortunately for me, I ran into him in 1983. And for 13 years, he was teaching me the, the principles of business success and leadership that he learned in 1929 from his mentor. And so I, I learned these skills and these, how to do this. And then he left me his notes from right before he passed away. So now this is what I'm teaching when I'm my one-on-one is how to take these principles and apply them to your life and business to be successful and grow dramatically. And also Tony Robbins, because after Bill passed away, that's when I became the assistant head of security and then head of security for Tony Robbins. And I don't think there's a better person in the world that can teach you leadership skills and how to manage yourself and Tony, unfortunately for me, for over 10 years, I had that opportunity to travel with him and learn from him and learn all these strategies. So I now have that to fall back on. And I think that Canley Eddie was what I really fell back on that day when all things were breaking loose on the plane that I had that how to manage my mind and not go into a chaotic state that leave people when they need to be led. Because one of the things I talk about is on the right side of the plane, Eddie, there was no crew. All the crew went out to the left side of the plane. So People like me who had zero experience on how to handle a plane crash had to step up and lead when you had no training. But what, so that taught me this, 
you don't need to know the specifics. All you need to know is how to lead when in times of crisis and get people focused on the mission. And all of a sudden, miracles can happen. That is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and the role that mentors play in the life of a leader and how these examples, even after one has passed away, can allow a leader to keep leading. Yeah. I mean, I'm 58 years old and I still have mentors because I think they're extremely important. And that's why I tell people, these, some of these younger folks that don't think they, they need one, I tell them that's, that's the fastest way to success is getting somebody to help you and level set you and give you the direction you need when those critical times when you really need to have someone to give you that focus. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, there's something else that you are involved in that I find fascinating. You're a faculty member with Dominique Wilkins, Don Barden, Brittany Tucker, and Steve Netvedek at the Leadership Mindset Series in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the first and only servant leadership coaching program in the United States. Can you tell us about that? Well, I would thank you. I was very honored when Don asked me to be a part of this uh, faculty. It's because, you know, the, my messaging is about personal leadership, but personal leadership is servant leadership. And Don is a, is, is, is a tremendous, I mean, he's a, he was entrepreneur of the year in Atlanta, you know, a few years ago. So he's, he's done it and he lives by a servant leadership mindset. And that's how he built, built his businesses. And Dominique, you know, it's amazing being around a hall of fame person, but having a servant mindset, being a hall of famer. So he brought us together and now we're being able to teach these servant leadership strategies from four or five different perspectives to groups of people. And I'm really honored to do this uh, with people. You know, we're done up with a few organizations now as we're growing rapidly because I don't think it's because of the fame of the people around. I think people are dying to learn how to build their business and be servant leaders at the same time. And there's a strategy on how to do it. And fortunately for me, I, I met Don and Don asked me to be a part of this program. And we're now partners in the Leadership Mindset Series. Servant leadership is an important topic in many circles today. And in fact, even in some of the roles I've seen posted, I, I had a, a couple roles where they specifically were asking for servant leaders yes. to apply. And so I found that fascinating that you were a part of that. I must say also, uh, I'm from Chicago. I grew up and Michael Jordan was the man. Yep. And so Dominique Wilkins was the, 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 the competition, the enemy. So I, I like Dominique. He was impressive, but he just wasn't my guy. But now knowing that he's doing the kind of things you're talking about, I got to look at him a little differently. Well, he, he, I tell people, he's, he, the great thing about Dominique is he's a Hall of Famer, but he became a Hall of Famer in the time of Jordan, right? He's a human yes. highlight film. So, yes. so I tell people, if you can become a Hall of Famer at the same time as Michael Jordan, you must be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, it sounds like, man, I could just talk to you for hours on this because I feel like so much we're not covering. But in all the moments of our life, there's a reason and a purpose. And from what you've described, it all kind of comes together right when we need it. And if we're in tune to the lessons of our parents, the lessons of our mentors, we will do the right thing when the moment matters. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. I, what, I, what I found and realized that all these things that we learn through our lives, when we just go through lives, I mean, I, I tell people 99% of the moments in our lives are boring, right? I mean, but 1% of those moments are exciting, either positive or negative, exciting. 
And but all those other 99% of the moments are there to be able to give you the, the strength, the wisdom, the focus to be able to take that 1% of those moments on. And that's how we named the book. That didn't come to me. But after I had an experience with one of my neighbors, it, this, it all of a sudden came to me. It's like all these moments in our life were there for a reason. And sometimes you can't know why immediately, but they're there to be able to help you to be able to handle stuff when things need to be handled, whether positive or, in or on the other negative side. Indeed. And, and how would you say that surviving a plane crash changed you? Well, I think it changed me on a number of different levels. But I, I tell people, I think the biggest, biggest thing is, and I shared this on a couple of interviews I did, is my worldview changed. And people say, well, how, what do you mean by your worldview? Well, I'm very candid. I was pretty focused and I would judge people pretty quickly. Um, and I was a sales, so I, I had to judge people pretty quickly. But something happened in one of the interviews I was with on Good Morning America, and I saw something and it sort of bothered me. And I realized I found out later when people like myself were judging this person that we didn't know and I didn't know that he was going through a divorce. He lost his job and no wonder he was lashing out. And I said, how many times in my life have I judged somebody so quickly that I've cut off a, a potential relationship, a potential job, and this could have turned in a whole different direction. And I said, thinking, I said, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know, judge people by the content of their character. I started thinking, if I could just change my worldview, say, you know what, I'll, I'll not judge people as quickly. Give, let me give a chance to get to know the person, get to understand the background. Then, then I can do that. All of a sudden, what happened, it opened up so many new relationships. This is how you and I are talking today. Because if I would have judged people, I would have all these opportunities. And that's how changing my worldview changed the entire direction of my life. You've said a mouthful right there. That's very, very true. So thank you for sharing that. Now, on the Keep Leading podcast, we want to make sure we equip leaders to keep leading. Do you have any words of wisdom you can share with our leaders? Well, leadership starts with personal leadership, but you have to lead yourself. So one of the things I teach when I mentor people in my group impact is that you got to identify your problems, but you give your power and energy to the solutions. And I think mm-hmm. when I learned that from Bill and then when I learned that again from Tony Robbins, it's all of a sudden it's right. You know, we all spend a lot of time on our problems, but we got to really give our time and effort solutions. So that's one of the leadership strategies that I teach people and tell people that I think can make a huge impact in your life. Identify your problems, but give your power and energy to solutions. Very well said. Thank you for sharing this wisdom with us today, Dave. Where can my listeners learn more about you and your services? Well, I'd be honored if they go to my website at davesandersonspeaks.com. There's a lot of information there, but the best way to really interact with me is go to LinkedIn because I'm finding that I can really give, I, every day I share new content on LinkedIn from all these years of what I've learned from Bill and Tony. And I, I dropped this out because there's so much stuff. So if you go to LinkedIn to David Sanderson, I would love to interact with people there because that way not only will I interact, but you will get new content every single day. And here's some of the, the wisdom that I've been able to learn and now share with other people. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely put that information and all your links and copy of your, of your book, the uh, the image to your book. We want to buy it on Amazon. We won't put the book there, <laughs> but we'll put all that in the show notes and we will uh, make sure that folks can connect with you and book you for speaking and for your other services. I'd be honored to serve. Thank you, Dave. And thank you for listening. That concludes this episode. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. 
It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.